Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with a red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Scuzz-Caspo. Uh, tonight we are talking about Penn State. Uh, before we dive into that, just a little bit of context. Uh, we're recording this on the evening of July 16th. Um, there has still been no announcement on what the Big Ten schedule is going to be. You know, we know it's going to be conference only. Looks like uh, the rest of the conferences in the country are get are getting there too. Um, so, you know, if anything has changed between uh, now when we're recording this and when you're listening to us, um, we apologize. We didn't weren't able to look, uh, look into the future and cover it because if we could, then we'd be making a lot more money on this podcast than we currently are. In any case, uh, Penn State, um, they are a solid team uh, who, coming off um, a really, really good season, are they gonna, Are they good enough to challenge Ohio State? I don't know. John, defensively, they're something else. They are. Um, something else is a good way to, to say it because trying to figure out exactly what they were last year was really, really hurting my brain when I had to do this, uh, do these previews. So last summer, we predicted that Penn State would have a top three defense in the Big Ten if things developed the right way, and that's what happened. Penn State finished with the number three scoring defense in the conference by a wide margin, so we were right, I guess. Um, We also said that Penn State would have either the best or second best pass defense in the conference. They had the 13th best pass defense in the conference. Um, We said that Penn State could definitely be run upon despite the ongoing ascendance of Micah Parsons. They fielded the number one run defense in the conference. So, yeah, but... John, are either of those stats um, Rutgers-ized? By, no. by way of, like, did people throw on them a ton because they couldn't run on Micah Parsons? Not really. I mean, some teams could throw on Penn State. I mean, if you watch the Cotton Bowl, that would be an example. Um, uh, but it really did flip in this bizarre way. Um, it's not hard to figure out. Like, if you look at the stats from this past year, it's not hard to figure out why there's this disconnect between the fact that Penn state had the number three scoring defense in the in the conference and the number eight total defense in the conference, because this was a prototypical bend, but don't break defense teams threw up and down the field on them. um, And then Penn state clamped down on those teams in the red zone. But I have to come back to this because again, This team led the nation in sacks in 2018 and then returned most of the D-line last year. And in 2019, only one player had more than six and a half sacks. No player had 10 sacks. The entire defense flipped on its head in a single year, and it was still awesome. Um, So... If you're looking for one thing to point to to explain this ridiculousness, there's one really obvious thing to point to. Micah Parsons is so effing good that the team has effectively reshaped its entire identity around him. This is linebacker you, but they have not seen a guy like this since LeVar Arrington. He's that good. 
He put up 109 tackles, 14 tackles for loss, and five sacks last year. And the universal opinion is that he is still definitely getting better. This guy is on his way up. He was a true sophomore last year. This might be the best defensive football player in the nation. He makes the entire defense go. As a sophomore, like I said, he improved the entire season and capped things off with a dominant individual performance all over the field in the Cotton Bowl in a game where otherwise Penn State was kind of eviscerated through the air. But he's so good. And if you watch that tape, you see a guy who's just everywhere all at once. And this guy may be the best defensive player in the country. He may be the best player in the country. He may be a future number one draft pick. Like, this guy is unreal. Um, so How old is he? He's a true sophomore. <laughs> he's, oh, my he's, God. He's unreal. He was a five-star player. He was arguably the top player in the country coming out of high school. He's been everything that they that they wanted. I mean, he's he's unreal. He could, he'll be a top five NFL draft pick. Um, but until then, they still have at least one more year from him, and he's going to be unreal. So... Beyond him, the linebacker core loses its other two starters from last year, Cam Brown and Jan Johnson. Those guys only combined for nine tackles for loss. Brown was a sixth-round draft pick, uh, but Parsons' shadow loomed over that unit the entire season, and that's going to be completely cemented this coming year. It's his show. He just needs some capable support, and he's almost certainly going to get that from Ellis Brooks, who was a good rotation guy last year, and Brandon Smith, who's a true sophomore, but he was the number one player in Virginia coming out of high school. This is going to be a phenomenal linebacker core. It may be the best linebacker core in the Big Ten. They're going to be unreal. The other two guys are going to be good. Parsons is just like a friggin' god. Um, So now we go to the defensive line, this head scratcher that broke my brain last year. If you want proof that Penn State underwent a complete identity shift from 2018 to 2019, you could point to the fact that Penn State's three-headed monster, and what I'm saying is, if you want a proof that it was deliberate, you could point to the fact that Penn State's, this three-headed monster of Yuter Gross Matos, Shakatoni, and Robert Windsor, their sack numbers were way down. They still combined for 28 tackles for loss. They just weren't getting to the quarterback. And you can double down on that identity shift this coming year because pretty much all of Penn State's pass rush came from Gross Matos, who put up nine and a half sacks and was a second round draft pick. Um, Tony is the big name coming back, and he's very good. But even that's like a misnomer. Um, The two ends that Penn State is likely going to rotate in the other spot, Jason Owe and Adisa Isaac, these are like tall, lanky pass rush specialists. Um, they're not what Penn State's going to be about this coming year. Penn State's defensive line is going to be built on the inside around tackles Antonio Shelton and P.J. Mustafer. They will not accrue stats. Their job will be to allow Parsons to do his thing, and they are 600-plus pounds combined, and they are definitely going to excel at that job. So now the secondary. The secondary had serious issues last year, Um, But again, this sudden pivot to like Michigan State style defense had to have a weak link somewhere because it worked everywhere else. 
Um, these guys, I think, were probably expecting to have a little bit more support up front from, again, what was the number one pass rushing defensive line in the country the year before. So teams that wanted to throw on Penn State last year had plenty of time to do it. Um, I mentioned this earlier, but Penn State got 450 air yards of AAC action from Memphis in the Cotton Bowl. Um, and I think that probably left people wondering how they would have fared if they were a, in a, spent a full season in the AAC. That would have been a pretty funny prop, proposition. It's not really a bad question to ask. Um, but truthfully, Tariq Castro-Fields and Lamont Wade are both back. And these guys are both going to be NFL players. And they're both excellent. They just didn't get the pass rush support they thought they were going to get last year. The defense just put them under a ton of strain because of this whole identity shift. So I mentioned Michigan State earlier, and that's the good comparison heading into this season. Um, basically, in terms of can this defense potentially be the prototype glory years Michigan State defense? And it, it definitely could. If Tony or Owe somehow blossoms into a Kenny Willicks level pass rush threat, um, that's going to matter a lot getting something like that, some sort of pass rush specialist, because every team with a passing attack is going to try to throw all over Penn State. So with all of this said, this is where I get to the massive lead that I have buried deep, deep within this preview. You know who had an awesome game against Penn State last year? Peyton effing Ramsey, 371 passing yards against this defense, okay? I have just spread on the, like, spread on the gold dust on this defense more than I possibly could, and this defense deserves every bit of that, and Peyton Ramsey threw for 371 yards on this. It's moments like this that ought to provide a little bit of clarity um, that our QB race has probably pretty well been decided. Because Ramsey is literally the exact guy you want in this exact game. Um, and again, we don't really know how the schedule is going to shake out. We would be Penn State's first conference opponent if things were not changed from the way we are. Because Penn State goes non-con, 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 Northwestern. But um, we hopefully can use what, you know, whatever practice time we have going into this season to build the right system around him and allow him to move the ball against Penn State the way he did last year. Again, as with every team, including Indiana last year, moving the ball on Penn State was one thing. Getting into the end zone was another thing entirely. But still, Indiana scored 27 points against Penn State last year. And 27 points... I'll be really curious to see because, you know, to see what Scuzz has to say, because 27 points might just be enough to get us over the hump against this team. 31 of 41 for 371 yards, a nine yard average, yeah. uh, one TD throwing, no picks and two TDs rushing. Ramsey was yes. the man in that game. Yes. Oh Lord. I mean, here, here again, here's hoping because again, this will be with a bullet the best run defense in the conference with the best run defender in the nation, maybe on it. Um, 
And we have a guy who threw for 371 yards against them last year. Like, this is not rocket science. But again, this is what's all leading me. I want to hear what Scuzz has to say about the offense. So, yes, Scuzz, uh, let's talk about the offense. Um, new offensive coordinator, uh, guy whose name I can't pronounce, coming over from Minnesota. Um, Kirk, Kirk Chiraka. Yeah, that guy. Uh, Sean Clifford's back. Uh, KJ Hamler is now a Denver Bronco. So, uh, return a lot, but I mean, their offense wasn't, I mean, it was good last year. It wasn't mind alteringly good. Was it not mind alteringly good, but it was surprisingly improved. Um, expectations, not only mine, uh, were that the loss of McSorley, Miles Sanders, and Jawan Johnson, who transferred to Oregon plus two experienced offensive linemen, uh, was going to be way too much to overcome for Penn state in 2019, but that was not true. Um, when when Joe Moorhead came and kind of revitalized this offense in 2016, he installed a really aggressive open spread concept. And then Penn State shocked the entire conference for two years with just incredible offense, despite um, a QB that was not known for his accuracy and uh, also underwhelming offensive line play. As expected in 2018, Ricky Ronnie was not able to operate that offense at quite the same clip as Joe Moorhead, given that it is Joe Moorhead's offense. But uh, after finishing 38th that year in S&P Plus, they jumped up to 13th last season, which is probably better than you thought they were. The primary factor was a really big increase in efficiency in the passing game, thanks to Sean Clifford. Trace McSorley really struggled his senior year with accuracy, like 54% struggled. Um, Clifford got much closer to 60. Uh, Clifford also, as a result, had a much higher yards per attempt, more on more on par with what McSorley showed in those two stellar years under Moorhead. And Clifford managed to match McSorley's TD to pick ratio, which is pretty impressive for a first-time starter who wasn't even expected to be the starter. Now, we can debate whether Penn State's off, uh, schedule got harder last year or not. Uh, I think trading home games against Wisconsin and Iowa and a, and a trip to Illinois for Purdue at Iowa and at Minnesota was, was probably an upgrade, uh, at least in their crossovers. But I I'm like considering that I'm really surprised they were able to improve. So now coming into 2020, Ronnie's gone. Like you mentioned, Sam, um, they hired Kirk Chiraka away from Minnesota. Interestingly, the team that beat them, but they only lose two major contributors from last year's offensive personnel. So let's start here. Sean Clifford, good last year, like I mentioned. I think he should, and I say should in quotation marks here, improve in 2020. It is always hard to know what's going to happen with a QB when when the offensive coordinator changes. But, you know, Chiraka somehow managed to turn Tanner Morgan into an absolute um, superstar last year at quarterback. Those who have listened to our previews may recall that I put a lot of pen to paper last year about Minnesota's offense. And with the exception of Tyler Johnson's draft position, I got just about everything wrong. Most especially, I was way off on Tanner Morgan. Uh, we will find out this season if Morgan really is the real deal or, or if it was more about Chiraka. Um, I've been reading pick six previews uh, in, in prep for a lot of these things, and they talk about how Chiraka's offense is a ton of slants, a ton of RPOs. It, it all centers on the decision-making ability of the quarterback. And Morgan just fit that to a T and had the wide receiver talent to take advantage when, when 
you know, teams' defenses fell apart and holes started opening up. We'll find out what what happens this year um, for both guys. But like, I I was borderline apoplectic on our Minnesota podcast last year, suggesting that Morgan is not quote a lower volume version of Dwayne Haskins, and then that's exactly what he was. So you know, you can either believe that you know he, Morgan was an unknown prodigy. Um, or you can do the math and figure out that Kirk Chiraka is probably going to have a positive effect on Sean Clifford and probably be able to get more out of him in this season. Now, the major thing that, that they need to improve on is sacks. You would think that Clifford, who's a pretty mobile QB, would be able to do that. Um, remains to be seen. The O-line is going to be more experienced, so that so that should bode well. Um, oh, by the way, Clifford is significantly more athletic than Morgan, so that adds a potential wrinkle for Chiraka to play with as well. Um, I mentioned the O-line. They were young last year. Uh, they had a fr- freshman left tackle. Um, think about that sack rate again. And only one senior in their starting five. As such, I really expect, you know, they're going to improve. Penn State, of course, has just recruited gangbusters. I think I think they've they've reached kind of their best average five-year recruiting ranking um, in, in quite some time uh, coming into this season. So you, you know that they're loaded with talent. You know, shifting to some of their other skill positions, Running back is always good. Uh, Journey Brown and Noah Kane, whoever starts is going to be good, and they're and, and going to be great. They have depth, not a problem there. Um, as usual, they also have a, financial, a phenomenal tight end, Pat Freermuth, um, who should be good for you know nine or ten TDs this year, um, unless for somehow the, the offense forgets he exists. But uh, but what's interesting is they've got some weirdness at wide receiver. So last year, six foot five Juwan Johnson left Penn State to go to Oregon. And then he had a pretty solid year there. Now, going into this season, six foot four Justin Shorter, who was their highest rated wide receiver, I'll add, transfers as well. And they lose Speedster and their best guy from last season, KJ Hamler, to the NFL draft. Go ahead, Sammy. Come on, take take a victory That's lap right. on that one. No, I, I mean, I, I'm excited for the Broncos wide receivers this year. That's another podcast. So as far as I can tell, they have nobody left over six foot three on the team who's not a tight end. Wow. Two two of the three presumed starters are five foot eleven or or shorter. This is a dramatically less imposing and less experienced wide receiver core than what Chiraka was working with in Minnesota last year. And for that reason alone, I think there's reason to believe that Penn State may be less explosive in twenty twenty. And now that doesn't mean that as an offense they're gonna be dramatically worse or less efficient. I think they're probably just going to lean more on the run game, much like Chiraka did in his first two seasons at Minnesota as their OC. But the thing is, is, you know, when you look at the the, the QB and O-line end of their passing game, they can be really dangerous. And I, I think what you're going to see is a heavy dose of run and just looking for those opportunities to, to throw play action over the top, to throw an RPO and, and, and mix those sorts of things in. I think, you know, much like when we talked about Michigan State, this is a team that's going to improve throughout the year. They're loaded with talent. They're trying to bring in a new scheme, you know, that, that they didn't have time to install in the spring. Um, I, I, I certainly don't believe they would have installed any of it during bowl practices, but um, they're going to figure out as they go through the year, and they're going to take advantage of defenses who make, make mistakes. I think if they get down early in a game and they have to suddenly revert to the passing game, that could be problematic for them to have to rely on it. But with the exception of the biggest boys on their schedule, I, I think this offense is going to be just fine. So, you know, again, we're not going to break down their schedule because we don't know it yet. Um, 
the non-cons that they're losing are Kent State, Virginia Tech, and San Jose State. So um, at Blacksburg could have been interesting, but uh, alas, is is not to be. If their if their schedule holds up, um, you know we we discussed the possibility that you know it could be a similar schedule. Uh, open up at home against Northwestern, at Michigan, home for Iowa and Ohio State, then at Indiana, at Nebraska, home for Michigan State, Maryland, and then at Rutgers. Really front-loaded uh, schedule there. But the, the thing I want to ask you guys, um, you know you know that, that October 24th game against Ohio State was going to be a whiteout game. It was going to be a night game. Like game day was probably going to be there. What team in the Big Ten is probably going to be most affected by not having a crowd in the stadium. I got to think Penn State is going to be near, if not the top, the second to top of the list. Yeah, it's either them or Wisconsin, right? Yeah. Yeah, it has to be. And I think it's funny to talk about those two teams because we haven't done our Wisconsin preview yet, but um, I think it it's pretty hard to argue that it, the second best team in the Big Ten is not either Penn State or Wisconsin. And Penn State is, again, like, it's it's weird to look at because you're talking about a team. Scuzz has made a very compelling case that this team has some offensive turnover, certainly. But one of the, speaking of, speaking of you, Scuzz, one of the points Scuzz has made very effectively over the past several years is that Penn State is a coaching deficient team at times. And having, you know, a, a great offensive mind coming in may do, you know, may do big things for them. And they're potentially an unbelievably complete football team in a conference that really may only have one other truly complete team in Ohio State. And to your point, Sam, like they would really lose the extra push that that home field advantage could give them. Against the Buckeyes, on the I, I, I also argue there's a degree of completeness there to which Ohio State is maybe not head and shoulders, but at least head above Penn State. So that's well, that's the thing too, and that you I mean that's true of just about everybody relative to Ohio State in the country, right? But the the weird thing though is that again, coming back to this, Indiana almost beat this team last year because Peyton Ramsey was unstoppable throwing the ball. And that was indicative of like, again, if you watched Memphis, again, you can throw all over this team. Fortunately for Penn State, potentially. I mean, again, it's that's the question. Like, can Ramsey be that same thing at Northwestern? Well, that's, that's the million dollar question, right? But if you listen to the Michigan, like, it's not like Michigan's going to be lighting the world on fire throwing the ball against this defense. Like, Iowa, and eh, I don't know. Ohio State, yes. 100% yes. 1,000% yes. That's what we're talking about here, right? Like, that's where the gap is between these teams. But Lord have mercy for teams like Nebraska, Michigan State, Maryland, Rutgers, and and chiefly Michigan, even though Scuzz made an effective point for what happens to the road team in that rivalry. Um, man, Michigan's going to have a nightmare time trying to work with this Penn State team. And I don't know, like I, you add all this up and yes, like do they have a weakness through the air? Yes. But could they be better against the pass next year? 
this coming year than they were last year? Absolutely. Will they still be absolutely unreal against the run? Yes. Do they maybe have the best player in the country? Yes. So it's like, they're like, is this team Ohio State? No. I don't think it's possible no one in the country is Ohio State. But it's very easy to argue this is the second best team in the Big Ten. Like, they are definitely right there with Wisconsin. So, so I, I, I want to talk about Northwestern and how, how the Cats would stack up here. Um, and, and specifically, like, all, all the talk about Peyton Ramsey and, and, and throwing against them, like, this is where we're really going to – we're really going to see what ROC is made of and what are mm-hmm. our, our, I mean, if assuming the schedule plays out the way we expect it to, right? Because we're not going to be able to run, run on this team. It, it almost harkens back to some of the games we had against Michigan state, not last season, of course, but the prior three or four years where we did quite well against them and where mm-hmm. Clayton Thorson destroyed them through the air because we, we went in with a game plan that was like, well, we're not going to be able to run. We better try We better plan to throw the ball. Yep. Um, and if we did that every game, my God, oh, I'd be so much happier. Anyways, we don't need to go down that path anymore. But here's the interesting thing. Like I like reading about Penn State's defensive coordinator, his scheme is very, very trick or treat. I mean, it's super aggressive, right? He is... He is gunning for those sacks and those, well, that's and what those they, losses that's what, in the backfield, right? That's what and, that's what was so weird is like two years ago it was all sacks. Last year it was all TFLs. It was like an identity shift. But you're right. Like, I mean, it's not like they stopped having talent. Like they're but, stacked. But but it's a ton of blitzing, right? And if and if you have a QB, a heady QB with the right targets who's accurate, you can take advantage of that. And I think that's what Peyton Ramsey was able to do. I the the one the one thing that worries me vis-a-vis Northwestern against this team is O-line. Will our O-line be able to stack up? Because I think our defense will be able to stop their running game enough that, um, you know, and, and the matchups in the secondary shouldn't be super hard for us that we can at least contain their offense. I mean, John, you said 27, 28 points. I mean, they averaged 34 last year, but... I think it's very plausible we could hold them in that range. Well, um, and the and the other thing too is, I mean, again, this is like another one of those knock wood things, right? If it's a healthy Greg Newsom and a healthy Cam Ruiz oh, yeah. at the start of the season, that would make every bit of difference. Yes, it would. Um, so I like I don't know. I think there's there's reason for some optimism here. How the matchup plays out, we're going to learn so much. We right. learned so much in this in this game, much much more I think than we would learn week one it's, against a, a very um, mangled Michigan State team. I'll say I know, and this is like one of those things where you keep coming back to the whole thing of like we believed that we had a very complete team going into last season, and then quarterback and offensive scheme submarine the entire thing, and here we are again. It's like we didn't stop having a complete talent laden roster, and now we have Peyton Ramsey and. You know, it's like the same thing we were all saying about Hunter Johnson last year. But if Peyton Ramsey is that guy, this is a very complete football team um, that can match up against other complete football teams in a way that even even let's say a Michigan um, could potentially have real trouble doing. So if if, um, if Peyton Ramsey is is just the guy he was in Indiana, like right. Then, then that'd, yes, that'd be that'd be great. Then, then yeah, not we will match up with Penn State as well as anybody outside of Ohio State will in the conference, and we'll match up with 
every other team in the Big Ten as well as anyone else will. Like, oh, not to put the cart before the horse, but but I mean, again, it's Penn State is is indicative of that because this is an, a potentially awesome complete football team that probably can take as good of a shot at the Buckeyes as anyone can. Um, gets them at home in a like Sam said non whiteout situation, and at the same time. If X, Y, and Z break the right way, we can absolutely give this team a game. If you're Penn State and you're looking at you know the potential of a tenth game, and you got one of four teams to choose from, uh, you know Wisconsin, Minnesota, Purdue, or Illinois. What's the best? Ma- I mean, obviously, you know, what's the yeah, worst uh, matchup? Which one are you? Which one are you worried about? I mean, obviously, they would love to have Illinois, but. Uh, are, well, are they, would they be more worried about Wisconsin or Minnesota? It's it's uh, uh, again. I this is we've done this a couple times. I'm furiously avoiding st- stepping on the Minnesota preview. All right, all right. fair um, enough. I will just frame step on you, it. Just I step will, on it, man. Sam, there's a two team conversation of who Penn State doesn't want to play and Minnesota is not part of that two team conversation. <laughs> uh, it's Wisconsin followed by Purdue. Um, Penn state will score a boatload of points against Purdue and Purdue won't care because they'll Purdue will be getting the exact kind of game they want to get. Um, Michael Parsons will have 15 tackles to 20 tackles in that game. Almost none will be on running plays. Uh, Purdue is going to be like, we can do everything Memphis did, except our guys are more talented. And <laughs> Purdue's going to be like, hey, Micah, how do you like coverage, buddy? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's it. And and Wisconsin, I mean, frankly, um, there's, I mean, again, it's probably not going to happen because Ohio State's national title or bust. But, I mean, there, it's not out of the realm of possibility that we do get that Penn State Ohio uh, that Penn State Wisconsin game in the Big Ten championship game. Um, most likely, like I said, it won't happen because Ohio State's so friggin' good. But uh, those are so Penn State uh, Wisconsin would just be an awesome game to be able to see um, because of the quality of those two teams, and and Penn State would just as soon love to have them. But I I I know that you know Minnesota had a great game against Penn state last year. Um, and it was really tight the entire way. I, I have, I have thoughts. Let's just say that I, I, I have some thoughts. Yeah. I, mean, I So excluding Illinois from your list, Sam, the answer is a hundred percent Minnesota. And part of the reason is that, um, assuming that the big 10 does everything in their power to ensure, um, fair play in terms of rotating home and away in the right way. That would mean that Penn State would play Purdue on the road. They'd play Wisconsin on the road. They'd play Minnesota at home. And having stolen Minnesota's offensive coordinator and getting a rematch against that team at home, I think the Nittany Lions would be absolutely licking their chops for that sort of thing. I think they might even pick them over Illinois just for the just for the entertainment value. Um, or not the entertainment, for the vengeance uh, effect. And, um, and all- I think they would take care of business. They're also just way, way better than Minnesota. So you're making me do it. I'm not going to step on it. <laughs> I'm not going to step on it. All right. So um, to keep you from stepping on any future pods, we'll go ahead and leave uh, this one here. Um, head to our website, westlotpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram 
at Westlot Pirates. You can always email the show, westlotpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics and look for us in the West Lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Skazbo, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.